Missed the show, no problems. On point and on the podcast, we talked to a car salesman who tried to stop a thief from stealing his pricey BMW, and when he jumped on the hood of the car, the guy just kept on driving. It is unbelievable video. The question is, how did he survive it? Over a dozen doctors have written the premiers and Dr. Tam, all asking questions and concerns about why are we delaying second shots without data to back it up, and why is Canada the only country doing this? And why can't Aaron O'Toole simply give a straight answer on a very, very predictable issue of abortion? Let's get talking. What's your point? You just don't ever get the point. By getting through to you. That's the point. You understand. There is a point. That point where enough is enough. Here's Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. Listening. We have been very clear as a government that we will always stand up against systemic uh, systemic racism and intolerance in all its forms. Unless, of course, it's in the form of blackface, uh, then that kind of racism is indeed tolerated and practiced a few times by Mr. Prime Minister. It was uh, an eventful day, certainly. Lots going on. Lots of little bits and pieces here and there. And, of course, uh, the royal scandal just continues simmering and brewing and all sorts of stuff that's going to fester for a while and of course it put the prime minister on the hot seat and he had to know this question was coming and um made very clear not touching this one i won't comment on what's going on over in the uk uh, but i will continue uh, to endeavor to uh, uh, fight against uh, racism and intolerance every single day in canada mm-hmm. okay right not touching that third rail for him not a chance and uh, he probably won't uh, take a knee demanding action. I mean, how can he? I mean, the guy did blackface so many times. He has so little credibility on this issue that if he actually took a position on this, the UK tabloids would eat him for lunch. So he's just going to kind of sit this one out. Just sit this one out. But just like our prime minister, Buckingham Palace sees this scandal differently. I thought their statement was incredibly um, interesting in its you know presentation today. And... Um, they issued this very short statement, which you've been hearing in the news, expressing concern, particularly over issues of race that were revealed, but then added, quote, while some recollections may vary, they are taken very seriously and will be addressed by the family privately. Harry and Meghan and Archie will always be much loved family members. So, yes, it is different. And it got me thinking, you know, if the palace, you know, if the palace can launch an investigation as they did last week uh, with Miss Markle into these bullying allegations involving her staff, then why are these race allegations being dealt with privately as a family? I'm not, I don't think it can be. Not after Meghan and Harry decided to air the family business to millions around the world. And of course, because they dropped this accusation without naming names this then festers and morphs for the palace and continues to di- divide the UK. I mean, certainly they, they witnessed the protests that took over U.S. cities all, all in the summer, right? They, they've seen that, and that could very easily start to happen in the United Kingdom, especially with some of the, you know, Oprah, whether you like her or not, she's got a big voice, and she's a powerful woman. I don't think she's going to let this one go. But, you know, if what was said about baby Archie is true, then you would think they would want to kind of buck tradition here and aggressively clear their names because eventually it's going to come out. 
eventually it's going to come out. And if it is a senior member, because it's important to remember, is a senior member, then it would be someone like Charles or William or someone of that caliber. Maybe it is Andrew. I don't know. Um, probably be the, if it was Andrew, then okay. You know, just deal with him in one thing and just, but I, you know, we, you got to say who it is. And again, I say this, Oprah should have absolutely tied up that bow and got a response because with this hanging the way it is, it just creates a chaos. And so, no, this thing is not just going to go away because they've issued a statement. And I, I do have high regard for the queen, but she has made mistakes. I mean, you'll recall, recall it was, um, in those days following Diana's death, um, when she didn't come out to address the nation. And, and that was a mistake because she came off as uncaring. And um, it kind of exposed that she doesn't understand life outside the bubble, the, the Buckingham bubble. And so I think how she chooses to deal with this crisis will either fairly or not become part of her legacy. And so, look, I think this thing has been completely and fairly dumped in her lap uh, but she should lead, and she's very capable of leading. I mean, maybe she should do her own sit-down with Oprah, right? That would be something. It won't happen, because unlike Harry and Meghan, she can't do that. So they've really served the Queen a very impossible hand, because Harry knows that his grandmother is bound by tradition, and she can't give, you know, the modern response that's required. She's not like going to go out and do a TikTok video, you know? She's She's... They're bound by tradition. At the same time, having said that, I think Buckingham Palace on this one may have to kind of go beyond the 60-word statement because it's just not going to hold. But the Queen does have support because Meghan's dad has chosen a side. I don't think the British uh, royal family are, uh, are uh, racist uh, at all. I don't think the British are racist. I think uh, Los Angeles is racist, California is racist, but I don't think the Brits are. Uh, uh, I, I, the, the thing about, the thing about uh, what color will the baby be or how dark will the baby be, uh, I'm guessing and hoping it's just a dumb question from somebody. Hmm. I'm not really sure Thomas Markle's probably the spokesperson the palace wants. But this thing's turning into a gong show because her, her whole family now is speaking out. So it's just like, uh, it's just going to go on and on and on. So I think the, the royals have got to come up with a better response uh, than they are doing and have right now. But what that looks like, I guess the days ahead will uh, will tell that story. Other big story that we're going to talk about, and um, this is a big story and I think it's going to be a headline for months, is vaccines, of course. And on Monday's show, um, I had a scientist on who was speaking about his concerns. He has come out publicly in his concern with the four-month delay in getting the second shot of vaccines into people. And there are more voices now from the medical community speaking up, which would include a group of 11 doctors from several top Toronto hospitals who have written to the provincial premiers and Dr. Tam. And Global News uh, got a hold of this letter. And uh, it's quite telling. And they're very concerned that this decision to delay shots is, is not backed by data. So in other words, there's no science to what they are doing. And what they're very concerned about is that partial protection is going to create a whole new COVID crisis and one that no other country would be dealing with. 
And you have to ask yourself, you know, if no other country is doing this, then why is Canada the outlier? What do, do, what do we know that no other country knows? Because if we truly believe in, the, believe in the science, and remember, the climate crowd always tells us you have to believe in the science, then why are we okay with politicians making up their own? Like, why is this just an accepted thing? You've got all these doctors now coming out saying, where's the data? Well, there is no data. It's not available yet. So who made the decision to do this? The minister, uh, procurement minister, Anita Anand, was asked about this question today. And uh, her response was interesting because she made sure to say that the agency that made the decision is independent. Well, I, I bet they're independent. But nonetheless, uh, I think more and more is going to be asked about why we are delaying the shot. So we will talk uh, with one of the doctors who signed this letter to get her thoughts and concerns about the second shot. This is Global News Radio. There is actually no science or evidence to support this decision. And the parliamentary secretary's response gets to the heart of the matter. If we had more vaccine doses, if the Liberals had been on top of getting these vaccines delivered to Canadians, they wouldn't be recommending this extreme measure that no other country in the world is taking. So is he basically admitting that at this point, the Liberals are making vaccines decisions based on politics to cover for the fact that they've put Canada in the worst position in the G7 for vaccine distribution. Good question. And it was asked in question period by health critic Michelle Rempel-Garner, and she is referring to this list uh, in her questioning of 11 doctors uh, who are part of the University Health Network and uh, who have spoken out in a letter with their concerns that delaying the second dose by four months is not based on data because, simply put, there is no data to study. And so while they agree, yes, one shot will give partial protection, they write in part, quote, scientifically, we can predict many scenarios, one being that a limited T-cell response together with the lack of a neutralizing antibody response could lead to a protection of the individual from severe disease. But... It could permit individuals to continue spreading the virus and creating a situation where the individual is somewhat protected but not allowing herd immunity. Pamela Ohashi is her name, Director of Tumor Immunotherapy Program at Princess Margaret Cancer Center and Professor at U of T Department of Immunology. Good to have you. Hi. One of these days I'll get all these titles. Thank you for uh, having me. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. Um, why did you and other doctors uh, feel so strongly about issuing this letter? Well, I think as you nicely, concisely mentioned, there is actually no evidence to put this dose, the second dose, out to four months. And reading the media and the news, I'm very concerned that the people who are making decisions aren't looking at the big picture. And if I can elaborate, what I mean by this is, this RNA vaccine is the first of its kind. We have never used a strategy for immunizing anybody against disease. And so the rules are unknown and it's completely uncharted waters. So to make predictions on, on responses or, or rules that have been applied to vaccines in the past, it's just not relevant here. Okay? Okay. So, Maybe I can elaborate a little bit more, if, if I may, and say the difference about this vaccine is it actually is targeting two kinds of immune responses. So the immune response is an, a very orchestrated uh, 
event that happens in our bodies to protect us from disease. All the vaccines so far have been based on an antibody response. And if we can picture what an antibody is, it's a particle that floats around our our bloodstream that is specifically targeting a virus. And so when we think about antibody vaccines to influenza, for example, there, there is a particle that specifically targets and neutralizes this virus. And that's what people think about in terms of vaccines. Now, the difference of this particular vaccine is it is, as I said, an RNA vaccine, which targets T cells. And T cells are are white blood cells that can normally um, keep us healthy, but their mechanism of action is very different. T cells actually look for infected cells and they kill the targets. They obliterate the targets. And I think generally people aren't thinking about the T cells and the importance of the response in this particular vaccine strategy. And this is what's being overlooked, and it really worries us. Yeah, and I'll I'll say this. I I think it's being looked at as a political thing because, um, you know, while the U.K. has delayed their second shot by three months, um, we don't have the data to support doing it for four months. And the group that, that approved this is the National Advisory Committee on immunization. So it wasn't signed off by Health Canada. Certainly Pfizer has put out a statement as of early as Friday saying they don't sign off on the provinces doing this because, again, there's no data and their recommendation is 21 days. And so yeah. what it looks like happening is that, um, you know, we want the vaccines to now match the talking points that everyone will be vaccinated by September. Well, that's not accurate because one vaccination, unless it's Johnson Johnson, is not a vaccination. That's not complete vaccination. Exactly. And if you look at the data that's out there that has um, investigated what happens to the T cells in a COVID specific response, if, if the second injection is not given, it's, it's five to tenfold lower. So we know for sure if the second injection is not given, the T cell response is less and it will be suboptimal. And the consequences of that is, is, is unpredictable. And I should also mm-hmm. mention, as I've introduced two things, there is a T cell response. And there's the antibody response. T cells actually help the antibody response. And not to think about keeping the T cells happy is really going to uh, change the, the landscape of the, the individual's ability to combat this virus and, and protect themselves and also the rest of the population from what we would call variant viruses. And this is one of the concerns that we have as well. Is there a chorus growing of other doctors and those in this particular um, field of expertise who, who are speaking out or planning to speak out or speaking behind the scenes on this? Yes. Uh, so there has been a report recently published in Lancet that exactly yep. articulates our concerns. Exactly. So the concern, again, is, is I haven't explained it properly, so I'm just going to go over the, the additional concerns. So not in, in addition to what you, you nicely um, quoted us from our letter, the, the additional problem is when you come in with a suboptimal response, so suboptimal from the perspective of the T-cells, they're not geared up and to fight as strong as they could without that second boost. So they're there, but they're not working as well. And so what happens is you get a, a little bit of an immune response. The viruses that are, are replicating in our bodies are now actually under a pressure to mutate even more because right. we've given a, a response against the spike protein. And so we're actually pushing the virus to lose that spike protein and mutate in a way that could be very harmful for, for anybody if this escapes. We already okay, know so that there's to, variants. 
They're, they're right. But let me, I'm, I'm going to run up against the clock and I want to get this question in. Okay. Could then Canada <laughs> be putting the rest of, could Canada be putting the rest of the world in a, in a situation where we cause a mutation of this virus that then creates a bigger problem for everyone? Right. This is my concern. Like, we, we should not be doing this. We should be thinking about the big picture. What are the consequences of not giving the second dose? And what is the impact not only on the individual, but the world? Is politics being played here in your mind? You know, I, I, you, you read the news these today, you know, there's so many more vaccines that have been approved. We have doses coming. I don't see why those cannot be used and used properly as, as the, the industry partners have suggested. I guess we'll have to stay tuned on this one, but certainly uh, 11 voices, including your own, have now spoken out about uh, against this, and we'll see where this takes us. But certainly you're not the first to advise that there's no science to back this up. So uh, we'll see where this ta- uh, conversation takes us. But I do appreciate your time, Pamela. Okay, thank you so much. Is it possible is to up. say a couple closing remarks? you got 10 seconds. All right. Uh, I think the public is going to be very confused by all this information, but I want to say vaccines are very good. People should get them, and we should really just follow the the guidelines from the the people who have really brought them to us. Straight forward to the point. Thank you, Pamela. And uh, there you go. If you want people to trust the vaccines, then you can't start playing politics with them. And that is what is happening here, is that politicians want to make sure that their talking points match the images on TV so that they look like they've done their job. But what they are doing is manipulating something that we don't have the science to back up. We'll keep talking about this because it seems like the discussion is now starting to catch up with everybody. So we'll keep talking. And you also got a biology lesson in there, right? She's smart. There is actually no science or evidence to support this decision. And the parliamentary secretary's response gets to the heart of the matter. If we had more vaccine doses, if the Liberals had been on top of getting these vaccines delivered to Canadians, they wouldn't be recommending this extreme measure that no other country in the world is taking. So is he basically admitting that at this point, The Liberals are making vaccines decisions based on politics to cover for the fact that they've put Canada in the worst position in the G7 for vaccine distribution. Good question. And it was asked in question period by health critic Michelle Rempel-Garner, and she is referring to this list uh, in her questioning of 11 doctors uh, who are part of the University Health Network and uh, who have spoken out in a letter with their concerns that delaying the second dose by four months is not based on data because, simply put, there is no data to study. And so while they agree, yes, one shot will give partial protection, they write in part, quote, scientifically, we can predict many scenarios, one being that a limited T-cell response together with the lack of a neutralizing antibody response could lead to a protection of the individual from severe disease. But... It could permit individuals to continue spreading the virus and creating a situation where the individual is somewhat protected, but not allowing herd immunity. Pamela Ohashi is her name, Director of Tumor Immunotherapy Program at Princess Margaret Cancer Center and Professor at U of T Department of Immunology. Good to have you. Hi. One of these days I'll get all these... Titles, yeah, thank you for uh, having me. Mastered. <laughs> thank, thank you for coming on. Um, why did you and other doctors uh, feel so strongly about issuing this letter? 
Well, I think as you nicely, concisely mentioned, there is actually no evidence to put this dose, the second dose, out to four months. And reading the media and the news, I'm very concerned that the people who are making decisions aren't looking at the big picture. And if I can elaborate what I mean by this is this RNA vaccine is the first of its kind. We have never used a strategy for immunizing anybody against disease. And so the rules are unknown and it's completely uncharted waters. So to make predictions on on responses or, or rules that have been applied to vaccines in the past, it's just not relevant here. Okay? okay. So maybe I can elaborate a little bit more, if, if I may, and say the difference about this vaccine is it actually... A, is targeting two kinds of immune responses. So the immune response is an, a very orchestrated uh, event that happens in our bodies to protect us from disease. All the vaccines so far have been based on an antibody response. And if we can picture what an antibody is, it's a particle that floats around our, our bloodstream that is specifically targeting a virus. And so when we think about antibody vaccines to influenza, for example, there, there is a particle that specifically targets and neutralizes this virus. And that's what people think about in terms of vaccines. Now, the difference of this particular vaccine is it is, as I said, an RNA vaccine, which targets T cells. And T cells are, are white blood cells that can normally um, keep us healthy, but they, their mechanism of action is very different. T-cells actually look for infected cells and they kill the targets. They obliterate the targets. And I think generally people aren't thinking about the T-cells and the importance of the response in this particular vaccine strategy. And this is what's being overlooked and it really worries us. Yeah, and I'll, I'll say this. I, I think it's being looked at as a political thing because, um, you know, while the UK has delayed their sh second shot by three months, um, we don't have the data to support doing it for four months. And the group that, that approved this is the National Advisory Committee on Immunization. So it wasn't signed off by Health Canada. Certainly Pfizer has put out a statement as of early as Friday saying they don't sign off on the provinces doing this because, again, there's no data and their recommendation is 21 days. And so yeah. what it looks like happening is that um, you know, we want the vaccines to now match the talking points that everyone will be vaccinated by September. Well, that's not accurate because one vaccination, unless it's Johnson Johnson, is not a vaccination. That's not complete vaccination. Exactly. And if you look at the data that's out there that has um, investigated what happens to the T cells in a COVID specific response, if, if the second injection is not given, it's, it's five to tenfold lower. So we know for sure if the second injection is not given, the T-cell response is less and it will be suboptimal. And the consequences of that is, is, is unpredictable. And I should also mm -hmm. mention, as I've introduced two things, there is a T-cell response and there's the antibody response. T-cells actually help the antibody response. And not to think about keeping the T-cells happy is really going to uh, change the, the landscape of the the individual's ability to combat this virus and, and protect themselves and also the rest of the population from what we would call variant viruses. And this is one of the concerns that we have as well. 
Is there a chorus growing of other doctors and those in this particular um, field of expertise who, who are speaking out or planning to speak out or speaking behind the scenes on this? Yes. Uh, so there has been a report recently published in Lancet that exactly yep. articulates our concerns. Exactly. So the concern, again, is... I haven't explained it properly, so I'm just going to go over the, the additional concerns. So not in, in addition to what you, you nicely um, quoted us from our letter, the, the additional problem is when you come in with a suboptimal response, so suboptimal from the perspective of the T-cells, they're not geared up and to fight as strong as they could without that second boost. So they're there, but they're not working as well. And so what happens is you get a, a little bit of an immune response, the viruses that are, are replicating in our bodies are now actually under a pressure to mutate even more because right. we've given a, a response against the spike protein. And so we're actually pushing the virus to lose that spike protein and mutate in a way that could be very harmful for, for anybody if this escapes. We already okay, know so that there's variants. Right. But let me, I'm I'm going to run up against the clock and I want to get this question in. Could then Canada (laughs) be putting the rest of, could Canada be putting the rest of the world in a, in a situation where we cause a mutation of this virus that then creates a bigger problem for everyone? Right. This is my concern. Like, we, we should not be doing this. We should be thinking about the big picture. What are the consequences of not giving the second dose? And what is the impact not only on the individual, but the world? Is politics being played here in your mind? You know, I, I, you, you read the news these today. You know, there's so many more vaccines that have been approved. We have doses coming. I don't see why those cannot be used and used properly as as the the industry partners have suggested. I guess we'll have to stay tuned on this one, but certainly uh, 11 voices, including your own, have now spoken out about uh, against this, and we'll see where this takes us, but certainly you're not the first to advise that there's no science to back this up. So uh, we'll see where this ta- uh, conversation takes us, but I do appreciate your time, Pamela. Okay, thank you so much. Is it possible is to a- say a couple closing remarks? you got 10 seconds. All right. Uh, I think the public is going to be very confused by all this information, but I want to say vaccines are very good. People should get them, and we should really just follow the the guidelines from the the people who have really brought them to us. Straight forward to the point. Thank you, Pamela. And uh, there you go. If you want people to trust the vaccines, then you can't start playing politics with them. And that is what is happening here, is that politicians want to make sure that their talking points match the images on TV so that they look like they've done their job. But what they are doing is manipulating something that we don't have the science to back up. We'll keep talking about this because it seems like the discussion is now starting to catch up with everybody. So we'll keep talking. And you also got a biology lesson in there, right? She's smart. We have a grassroots party, and it's a big tent with different perspectives in it. As, as leader, I was elected as someone that has a track record very clear on, on these issues with respect to rights, and I think they're very important. I'm pro-choice, and I've always stood for rights of Canadians. Our approach will be focused on the challenges the country is facing. Why is it so hard for politicians to answer a question? And um, what Aaron O'Toole was asked this morning is, you know, how he's going to engage or deal with parts of his base, the social conservatives, who want the abortion issues enshrined in the party's constitution so that there can be some kind of framework to address pro-life issues that they care about. Naturally, O'Toole avoided the question because this is 
a third rail for conservatives. But, you know, certainly by now, given this is such a predictable attack for the liberals to throw and social conservatives aren't new to the party, why can't any conservative conservative leader outside of maybe Stephen Harper get it right when it comes to this issue? Let us ask. Jenny Byrne is with Jenny Byrne and Associates, but was former chief of staff to one Stephen Harper. How did you manage that issue? Because you did. Well, <laughs> well, Stephen Harper was very good at managing the issue. I think that I think that part of the problem that Aaron O'Toole has is that he ran on a leadership platform that is not entirely how he's been governing uh, governing the party. I think that we have to we have to separate. Uh, people like the Derek Sloan supporters who are talking about enshrining uh, pro-life policies in the Constitution, which will, by the way, never happen, and 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 social conservatives that have been active members of the party back from from you know before the party was even created when I was a reformer when I was a member of the Canadian Alliance, and I think they're they're different things. But I think the problem that Aaron has is that it's not just social conservatives right now that are that are that are kind of cranky. It's it's fiscal conservatives, it's democratic reformers. He's got a bit of a problem and it's not just social conservatives. No, it's not. I mean, that's what kind of the media will hang on to is the one faction of the party. And and frankly, they don't speak for all conservatives. This issue drives me crazy because I'm one of those fiscal conservatives that just wants to get on with the the day of, 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 you know, getting back to business. And so when I read polling uh, by Nanos today that says uh, the majority of the country trusts Trudeau to run the economics of this uh, country, we got a big problem. If Aaron O'Toole can't even, you know, get something um, registered with Canadians, there, there are obviously a lot bigger problems. I completely agree, and this is why this the policy convention coming up is going to be very important. And and so I think there there will be um, there will be issues that that Aaron uh, that, that are going to come up um, uh, that are going to be pushed by certain pro life factions within the party. But I don't think it's going to be indicative of. Uh, of where the rest of the party is, as I said, in, in, including SOCONs. And so I think what Aaron and his team need to do now is uh, what the party is lacking is any form of direction or narrative. And I think that's, mm-hmm. you know, under Stephen Harper, under Stephen Harper, he, he had a narrative, he had, a, he had direction, and he had the support of caucus. And he had the support of caucus because he earned the respect of caucus. And so right. um, I, this is where I think that that that, that, that caucus members, uh, and there have been a lot of media reports that, that I read, I'm sure you did over the weekend, um, that show mm-hmm. that obviously Aaron does not have uh, the full support of uh, the full support of caucus. And if I was him and his team, uh, that would almost be the number one issue that I would be worried about and be working to fix right now. He's a nice guy. He's got experience in politics. And frankly, he should be clobbering Justin Trudeau at this point because there are a lot of frustrated people out there looking for um, alternatives, but he just can't punch through. So what would you tell him if you were advising, like, what should he be doing and how do you kind of engage and bring the team together? Well, I think, uh, as I said, I think he has to, 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 to figure out exactly what he stands for. And so part of the problem that he has is that he ran a very, uh, one would say, uh, to the right leadership campaign. And so he garnered mm-hmm. a lot of support from people that were expecting, uh, you know, a different outcome of, in terms of policies or in, in terms of direction that he has shown. And so he and his team have to um, uh, not just uh, engage caucus and, 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 and get them on side and speak to them. He has to actually develop a plan and a narrative and, and, sometime, and, and discipline. And sometimes it can be very hard to do it. Uh, you know, I, I, have, I have joked that, you know, the media rolled their eyes uh, every time some an MP stood up and talked about the job-killing carbon tax and Michael Ignatieff's coalition with the Bloc Québécois leading into the 2011 election. But it's something that we spoke about every single day uh, for well over a year, and that was what 
the the election was eventually run on. And so it, it, it takes discipline, but this is what him and his team have to do. Right. I mean, look, leadership races aren't elections, as you well know, but the fact that we're still talking about what he ran on as leadership shows you that um, that they haven't put anything in the window. And people really do. Well, like, what are you going to run on? I don't know what he would run on. I don't know what he stands for, as you as you you know mentioned just a, a minute ago. Um, he's got to put some policy in the window that's not kind of liberal light because he's pissing off the base almost now from every different direction. I, I agree with you. And I think there's a lot to actually campaign on where we've now been told that the liberals uh, or to talk about the liberals uh, have announced there they won't have a budget. It's, it's it seems it's going to be the third week of April. So that's going to be uh, well over two years uh, that uh, 25 months from uh, um, from the last budget when they're going to, to release one. And we're we're a country with a, you know, a trillion dollar uh, deficit and a, uh, a, a, a trillion dollar net debt and a, and a uh, $250 billion deficit. And so I think that it, we're getting to the point where there has to be some conversation in terms of fiscal responsibility and what happens next, what happens with recovery, what happens if inflation, what happens if interest mm-hmm. rates go up and inflation um, uh, inflation drives interest rates up. And so I think these are conversations we have to have, but I don't think there's any, I, I, I don't see any evidence that, that Aaron uh, and, and his team are, are there. And I, and I hope they get there on that and other issues. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to put your policy out too early, but at the same time, um, they've got to put something out there, whether it's a guaranteed basic income conservative style or something that people are going to be drawn to. Because frankly, Trudeau has given out so much money at this point and people like the money. They want the money. Everyone's very unsure about what the future like looks like. Um, so Aaron O'Toole can't exactly run on being the big bad kind of I'm going to take it away guy. So he's got to put something out there that's going to appeal to newer people, parts of downtown Toronto and, and, and the urban centers, while not betraying uh, the values that conservative ex- conservatives expect. No, I completely agree. I think there's a lot of options that he can have, and and I'm sure there's a lot of data and research work that they're that that the party is doing. But I think he he also he also has to factor in um, that you know there's there's a growing movement in the West of uh, I, I don't want to say Western separatism, but there is a growing movement of people that are very unhappy with how things are going. Albertans and people from Saskatchewan, and things like Aaron's support for net net zero by 2050, and actually in saying that he is going to get to net zero before 2050. Um, are almost symbolic uh, to, to people in the West. And so he's got challenges um, on a lot of fronts uh, because, it, it, you know, you can't take your Western support uh, for, for, for granted. It's, you know, it's the government of Brian Mulroney did that in the 90s and, and the Reform Party was created. And so I think he's, there, there are other challenges and there are other policies he has to, uh, he has to play out uh, in terms of where he's going to go because we could be into an election within the next four months. Yeah, no, no question about it. If the polling goes up at all with the vaccines rolling out, even if it's a, a smoke and mirrors game, as long as they're seen to come in, Canadians will, they'll once again forgive the Trudeau government. Um, and there's absolutely no scrutiny going on. And the stories that should be scrutinized are simply falling under the radar because people are too distracted by COVID. And so there's always the risk, I mean, at a convention, could his leadership come into question? I mean, could that um, fall apart for him? No, I don't see it. There, there's only a leadership. Uh, there's only a leadership review in our constitution after an election, and he hasn't had one. <laughs> well, there you go. Well, nonetheless, they better get their act uh, together. It's going to be tough, but nonetheless, they've got to show some leadership on this thing. Jenny, stay tuned. Maybe uh, you can help them pen up a new talking point on the issue of abortion, which <laughs> no one's gotten right since your boss walked away. <laughs>
Appreciate it. That is uh, Jenny Byrne joining us with Jenny Byrne and Associates. So, um, hey, she knows what she's doing. She was behind the scenes, and it did work for Harper's, so can't be that hard. You can join us Monday through Friday starting 630 sharp. I'm Alex Pearson. This is On Point here on Global News Radio.